step inside my living room Share a little talk By roads walked and lessons learned Keeping the flame of faith burning I wanna know where you've been What you found out Spread some light in the darkness Spread it all about In the height In the height Put it all in the height Hello and welcome back to Hat Radio. My name is Avram Rosenzweig and this is episode 56. And I'm absolutely delighted and honored to have with me at my dining room table, my very dear friend, Jeff Woods. It's good to be here. Nice to have you, man. I never knew how to pronounce your last name, so I'm glad I'm here for that reason alone. Well, nobody does, especially if you're Gentile. Say it again. Rosenzweig. Rosenzweig. Yeah, Rosenzweig. So difficult. I was going to say, but you, you have the perfect name. It, people think it's a phony name. Do they? Or a made-up name. Yeah. Yeah. Like when we used to phone the operator, you're 56 years old, right? Right. Remember we used to use the operator? Of course. And they'd go, okay, who's calling you? Jeff Woods. they go, good, we're good to go. I'd go, Avram Rosenzweig, Aram Rosenweig. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody would ever get it right, right? Never, man. No, mine's easy. Never. And, you know, it was so easy that I thought I had to change it. I changed it to an equally regular <laughs> name. I called myself Jeff Allen. Did you? And so each is college radio, right? Yeah. So one time I'm Jeff Woods, then I'm Jeff Allen, then I'm Jeff Woods. I couldn't get it straight myself, so I thought maybe I'd revert to my actual name. Yeah, I worked as a headhunter, and the guy who I work with, he goes, Avram, he goes, I think your name is too Jewish. I go, do you? And he goes, yeah, I think you're working with a lot of Gentiles, a lot of who don't like Jews, eh? I go, don't, they don't, huh? He goes, no. He goes, oh, what should I change it to? He says, I've been thinking you should change it to Adam Rosen. <laughs> Because that doesn't sound Jewish. Not at all. Yeah, like, you. you know, that's more Norwegian, right? <laughs> or Kirk Douglas, maybe. Yeah, or Kirk He's Douglas. He's gone now. You could probably... I could use his ID. Right. Right? <laughs> so Jeff Woods is here with me. And why I'm so delighted is because Jeff Woods is an icon in Canada. A rock history icon. He is. He was the program director at Q107. I believe it was from 2001 to 2003. Yeah, you're great that way. Right. Yeah, I got, I got promoted within the company. So I left. Otherwise, I probably... Stayed long, long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think right. you were you were the assistant there for a while too. I was. You work with some interesting guys, Pat Cardinal. I did. He hired me, and you know, I I said this to somebody the other day. Usually, you get I got music director, right? Yeah. And usually, you work your way into a program director or even assistant program director. Yeah. But to get me to his credit. He threw the carrot right at me right away. He said, you'll be music director. No, he actually, he said, you'll be assistant program director. And then there was a dot, 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 and we'll make room for you in the music director chair. Yeah. So I just want to say a little bit more about you. You you, you had a show which was called The Legends of Classic Rock. That's mm. That stopped in 2015. I used to listen to it all the time. Thank you. Well, you know, I think 50% with you is, and tell me if you hear this a lot, it's your smoky voice. Yeah, you know. You have a magnificent voice. <laughs> Thank you. It's a double-edged sword because 98% of the people who remember me from the radio, instead of saying, hey, I liked what you said about that thing, yeah. they say, I liked how you sound. Oh, sound okay. dead. Or okay. I like what your voice sounds like. And that's lovely. As long as you also like what I have to say, hopefully. But but for you, are you, you conscious regularly about the noise that's coming out of your mouth? Um, I'd like to be less conscious because you, you hope you get to a point where you're not thinking about that. You're just speaking, which yeah. I think I'm doing now. Although, uh, 
that helps by you're not wearing headphones i'm not wearing headphones right. we're not that conscious of the way it sounds yes. if we were wearing headphones we would be right right oh, we might be talking more like yeah. this you know what i mean yeah well it's the interesting thing about you that voice that you just put on yeah. is what a lot of disc jockeys thought they had to sound like but your voice is not like that it you're, was though thank you though but it was yeah i i took that route because everyone was especially uh -huh. in the 60s 70s and 80s very much right and and, I, and I've, I had to shed it i had to really work to get rid of that and one of the main ways to do that was not wearing headphones oh is that how you did it yeah how interesting is yeah, that i just took them off yeah and yeah. then you go to do auditions for voiceovers, and you have to wear them because the guy in the booth, the guy in the control room is talking to you. Right. So I'm right. always, like, struggling. I don't want to wear them, but I have to hear what your direction is. You do a lot of voiceover, don't you? I, I do a lot of auditions, mm -hmm. and I get some of the gigs. What's it like for you at 56 if you don't make it, if you don't get the, the job? You know, I'm, I mean, auditions are lotteries. So much in life is a lottery. Um, your record gets heard and, and people like it and it sells or you, you, you get the voiceover gig or you get any. It's not specific to radio or music, is it? It's specific to any career you take. Getting the golden gigs are always like winning a lottery because yeah. there's lots of other people that want the same gig you're going to get yeah, no, or not going to get. Most definitely. But is there a piece of you at this point after writing a book yeah doing an audio on that book, mm -hmm. having a podcast, having a radio show. Was there a piece of you which feels like, hey, man, I'm Jeff Woods? Whenever the project is ready to release and I'm happy with it, it's like, oh, wow, that's success. That was so good. It feels so good. I, I, I made it. Yeah, you know? yeah. and, then, and then 20 minutes later, you're like, now what? I have to, I have to do something right. more. Right. So you, you never, I never really feel like I'm there. I think if you think you've made it, you're done. I mean, was there ever a time, where is there, wherever there a moment where you were able to bask in the success of what you've accomplished for a week, for a month, for a half a year? Yeah, for like, a week. What's the greatest thing you've ever done? I think when I got program director at Q107, that was I, was huge. I was ecstatic. Yeah, you must have been. But then I thought, oh, they're not giving me a raise, but they're giving me a nice title. <laughs> when I got the raise, I felt like I had made it. It's a big piece, isn't it? But, but they always say it is a big piece, Avram. Thank you. But I had a boss with the greatest wisdom. I was trying to figure out what my next move was, whether it was to stay in the company that he was managing, I was working for him, or to move on to the record business. Yeah. So I'm in radio. I'm making okay money for the time, but I could do much better, I think, um, in terms of learning more about the music industry and making a little more money. And he said, well, you'll, you'll quickly grow into the money. It sounds like a lot more money, but yeah. then you'll end, you know, you'll end up, what, spending more yes. and, and not really saving much. Right. He goes, but at the end of the day, it's what does your nine to five look like? What does your day look like? What does your week look like? Is that something you're gonna really enjoy? Because the money you'll start taking for granted in about 20 seconds. Make sure that the gig is what you want to do from nine to five. Well, I mean, you must have been so incredibly excited because Marty and I did a uh, radio show at Talk 640, yeah. which is the sister station to Q107, and it was called Marty and Avram, the Food Guys. Of course. So we used to see you guys all the time. You know, we When we were in North York. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Al joins, and we see Andy Frost. And uh, we would have some connection with them because Marty's raison d'etre was to turn the radio show into a party. 
So we would have 20, 25 people come out and there would be food from Susser Lee, food from North 44. I mean, it was just a freaking party. Right? <laughs> and we're was. talking about Sunday morning at 9 a.m., right? Cool, right? But the coolest thing about being in that environment was you knew that afternoon or perhaps the next morning or maybe the Friday before um, the guys from Kiss walked in. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, George Thorogood walked yeah. in, whom you interviewed, right? Yeah. And you're sitting there thinking, this is unbelievable. As a rock, as a music fan, as a rock fan. It's beautiful, isn't it? you got to be it? near it. It's great. Is Would it? you meet them in the front foyer? Oftentimes. Would you come out and meet them? Oftentimes, and then and then say goodbye to them at the elevator. You would? Hey, shake their hand, give them a hug. Hey, it was great to see you. See you next time. Have a good tour. Right. Bye-bye. Door closes. Wow, that was cool, because right. at 14, you're thinking, <laughs> right. you're not even thinking you'll ever meet these people. Exactly. And exactly. suddenly, they're your, I wouldn't say friends, but they're in front of you, chatting. You, you, were, you were interviewed on Rogers, and the young woman who interviewed you, lovely, lovely woman, you actually complimented her for introducing you to a band, and I thought that was very nice of you. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. yeah. You're that very generous fun. of spirit with the interviewers, by the way. Thank you. Yeah, you really are. I think you should be. Well, you're the same. I try to be. Because it's a conversation between two people who have a passion for life. That's exactly Hopefully. right. Hopefully. Right, right. So uh, you were talking about uh, uh, about some of your, your the famous people whom you had interviewed. And uh, I'm sorry, it was a breakfast television interview that you did. And the fellow pointed out, he said, and y the great thing about Jeff Woods is you never seem starstruck. Yeah, I guess I hide it well. I know. Me you know too. how you feel something inside and you think everyone can see it? Oh, yeah. And then they're like, no, you didn't <laughs> seem drunk last night. And you're like, oh, my God, I was loaded. <laughs> that's one That's one right. area where I always felt like I was naked. Yes, that's right. Like you were naked. But but in terms of rock stars, yeah. I mean, meeting meeting your heroes, meeting David Bowie, I was shaking inside. You said he's the best one you ever did. Right? Yeah. and but But nobody ever would have guessed by looking at me, I guess that I was dying yeah. with nerves. Yeah. But he's the kind of guy that puts you at ease quickly. Yeah, how did he do that? By by talking to you, by looking into your eyes and talking to you, not like you were 62nd on the priority list. You were the only thing on the priority list while he was with you. Right. One-on-one. -on -one. Right. You said that you were in New York and uh, you became the MC of the show there. Yeah. And you looked out and you saw these people from ABC and NBC. And 60 Minutes. And 60 Minutes. There's Leslie Stahl. And, and there's Jeff Woods. Um, your parents live in Oshawa. You were born... In Oshawa. So, yeah. so we're all kind of Oshawa kids in some way. Yeah. Toronto kids, Suburban North York. Kids, yeah. And there you are in New York. Was it Madison? Where, where was it? Madison? This was at a, a TV studio. This particular time with David was uh, Ricky Lake's TV studio oh, okay. in Manhattan. Okay. Yeah. And and you were nervous. And Bowie detected this. <laughs> and he turns to you and says, let's go and get a beer, mate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we could we could just get out of here and go get a pint at the pub. Yeah. Right? And, yeah. and, 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 and that's why I laughed. Yeah. And that took the nerves away. And then we had fun. You were able to enjoy yourself. Oh, totally. Right. Yeah. Right. Now, yeah. I'm looking at a list of people whom you have interviewed, and many of the stories having to do with these interviewees uh, showed up in your book, Radio Records and Rockstars. Yeah. Great. Great name for thank, a book. Thank you. Nice alliteration. It was, well, yeah. How did right? that come to you, by the way? How'd you get the name? It, I, I thought, what is the book about? Well, it's about my time in radio. Yeah. Uh, it's about my time playing records on the radio. And it's about my time not only working for a record label with rock stars, but interviewing rock stars. Yeah. Radio Records and Rockstars. Working title. It was a working title for eight months. And then I thought, I can't do better than that for a book. 
given, like you say, the alliteration. Yes. And the fact that it kind of spells out what it's about. And it worked well for you? It did. It, it's still selling an audio. Yes, I saw it. It's, it's on Amazon. It's on Amazon, you know, Audible, Amazon, Apple. It sells in audio and all those places. Uh, Amazon has it in paperback, so it still sells. You I said, sold all my hardcovers. You said Amazon was a bit of a drag to work with. Oh, yeah, you, what did you, I say? You, you said like this. You said that you posted it, and they go, well, your book will be up this afternoon. <laughs> then they go, well, I'm sorry, it's 30 days. No, we need another 10 days. It, it was, That's well, yeah, said. giant corporations don't yeah. speak directly to you. They right. speak through a series of emails, don't they? Or a bot. Yeah. yeah. So that that's a bit of a challenge. Eventually, we got it right, and the audio was great, and it came out. You know. So you sit down, you write this book, and I want to talk to you about the process. Sure. And some of the people whom you have interviewed is Bowie, it's Thorogood, <clears throat> excuse me, the Rolling Stones? Mick and Keith and Ronnie uh -huh. and, uh, and Bill Wyman. So I guess, yeah, pretty cool. Three original Rolling Stones, one 70s Whoa. Rolling Stone. That's awesome. I was lucky, yeah. You are lucky. Well, right place at the right time, but I call it luck. I call it fortune. Yeah. You but know, I mean, let's face it, every listener of Q107, and that's a lot of listeners, they yeah. want to do what you did. Yeah, yeah. I mean, everybody wants to hang with a rock star. Who doesn't want to be with Keith Richards for an afternoon? Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah, I felt like I'd died and gone to heaven. Are you yourself when you're with these people? I really think I am. Yeah. And sometimes I look back and think I should have been less myself. <laughs> but but because, well, I heard an interview uh, years ago with Pamela Wallen. She worked for CTV, as I, I recall. I remember Pamela, yeah. And she did interviews of national television. And somebody was asking about her secret to doing great interviews. And she said this. She said, I never ask a question I don't know the answer to. Yes. And I thought, well, yeah, you want to do a lot of research and you kind of really want to know the person you're speaking with. But I don't want to take all the fun out of it. I actually want to have some legitimate curiosity and ask you something I don't know the answer. I don't know what you're going to say. Right. I don't want to know it all. Right. Then it doesn't become, that's no fun. Well, there's a debate as to how an interviewer should interview and do their prep. There's a school of thought that says, as you said, which is do your preparation and go in there and make sure you know it across the board. And then there's the other school of thought is, no, man, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to wing this thing because it's going to be more authentic. There was a physics um, uh, huge giant in the world who was interviewed by an interview, interviewing giant. I'm sorry I forget the names. Part of it is my heart attack. I had one 10 days ago. I can't remember a freaking thing. I'm so glad that you're okay. Well, you would be here at, by yourself at the table if I wasn't. You know when, yeah, right? <laughs> You'd be hanging out in my house, Jeff. This morning with coffee, before I got in the car and drove here, I, I go on your Facebook because I want to know what's going on with you. Yeah. You know, I hadn't done my homework on you. I want to know what's happening. And then I read days ago, you had a heart attack. Yeah. I'm like, oh my God, are we really doing this? Yeah. But you confirmed it. Yeah, Again this well, morning. It's my third one. I kind of know the drill at this point. I see. I'll talk to you about that in a minute. Well, you but better be doing the things that keep you around. No. So I, I'm doing my best. We'll, we'll get there okay. in one sec. It, okay. it, I'm sure it's going to come up in the interview. It's a bit, bit disconcerting. I'll tell you that much. It's a bit disconcerting. But that being said. Yeah. So the, the, this guy goes on and, and he's interviewing this physics giant, right? And you think about it. How do you prepare for that? You're going to start <laughs> studying freaking physics, right? Have you only interviewed rock stars? Mostly. And mothers of rock stars? Yeah, right. I know. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So, so he gets on there and he starts to ask him questions that you would think are like freaking brilliant, right? About physics. Sure. And the guy looks at him, he goes, stop doing that. He said, I'm sorry? 
He says, stop doing that. You don't know what you're talking about. You sound really stupid. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And the you, guy... You don't just sort of learn physics overnight. Overnight. To speak to a physics master. Well, like physics for dummies. Right. <laughs> it's like if I sat here and I started, you know, espousing stuff about rock, the rock world, rock history, you'd say, Avram, you're a little bit off on that, man. Yeah, maybe. I, I, I think, you know... There's the extremes. You said, you know, know nothing about somebody, yeah. know everything about somebody. Yeah. I think somewhere in the middle. You know, if you spend a few hours or a couple hours reading about, you know, watching interviews, whatever, getting right. to know, getting a feel for, and then just being you. You be you. I'll be me in response to you. Yeah. And hopefully it's a fun conversation, and, which it is. Yeah, hopefully usually. it works out, right? Right. So when you're interviewing the David Bowies of the world, do you yeah. look at them? Like, do you do you see their rings and do you see the wrinkles on their face? Because I'm always curious about how people look. You have a whole arm, two arms full of tattoos. Yeah, a whole body full. Which you've had for years, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Just a quick question. Do you ever yeah. feel as though you want them off? I did for quite a while. It wasn't about the tattoos. It was about me not being happy with some of the decisions I made in my life. I see. And I would look at my arms. And it wasn't about the decisions about the tattoos. It was about decisions about relationships and how I conducted myself. And then the tattoos sort of represented the negative in that. I made I made that happen. I made that correlation, and I thought it would be cool to wake up one morning and look in the mirror, and I'm just clean. Yes, no tattoos, like a fresh start. And then I realized that's 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 ridiculous. Tell yourself good things. Yes. <laughs> so I got over that, and now I'm getting more tattoos than ever. Now I love it again. <laughs> Do you? Yeah. Yeah. It's just fun. So you're pretty mindful then. I am. Like, you think stuff through. I really do now. I didn't for 45 years. Yeah, you years. said you started growing up at 50. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, who was it that said it was Pesci or... It wasn't Pesci. It was one of the great actors that made great movies in the 90s who said men are shit until they're 40. At, I amended it to at least 40, right? <laughs> yeah, right and, right. and not all men. Some men, you meet some 20-year-old guys who have their shit together and they're just like, wow, how did you do that? Yes. I couldn't do that. Yes, no, I Slow couldn't either. Learner. I also couldn't. Yeah? When did you feel like you kind of... Uh, so I feel as though I've had a few lives. Yeah. Um, I kind of divide it up by decades. I feel 1 to 10 was my first life. 10 to 20 was my second. 20 to 40 was my third. Yeah. 40 to 50 was my fourth. And now 50 to 60 is my is my is uh, where I'm at now. But uh, I understand what you're saying when you talk about growth in terms of maturity. I was really, really immature until, yeah, I'll probably the same time as you, late 40s and 50s. Yeah. Uh, like, I had a girlfriend, Jeff, and she told me at some point, you're not being nice to me. And I, I said, really? She goes, no, you say mean things to me. I said, oh, shit, are you kidding me? Can you give me an example? And then she gives me this whole plethora. A list. I went right into therapy because I was a dick. And I didn't want to be a dick. I was, maybe not in the things I was saying, but in my actions, for sure. L like what? Like what? Well, going out and fooling around. Uh, on your girlfriends. Yeah. Yeah. It was the worst. Yeah. Would you do that now? Never. Yeah. No, I couldn't now. Now I feel like I'm cheating on myself yes. first, which I can't do. Yeah. And cheating on that person, I, I can't do that anymore. Right. But it was easy to do when you're young and stupid. When I was young and stupid, I take full responsibility. Yeah. Um, and then, and you know, it's funny because my partner now said, "I heard you in an interview recently, and you took full responsibility for the for the breakdown of all your relationships." And I said, "I might have been being a little generous because it takes two. But I said, ultimately, I was usually the one that did the things to sabotage it, to blow it up. You know, 
there were things on both sides that weren't great. Yeah. But I think if you have the courage to walk away rather than sabotage it, like just to say, hey, this isn't working out. I'm going to go. Right. Before you do stupid shit. Right. Don't wreck it. Don't start going with somebody else and then make that the reason why you broke up. Exactly. The reason you broke up was because you weren't really supposed to do this. You weren't ready. or So what was the process that I was thinking about? You, you'd be married four times? Yeah. Yeah. Like literally married, you stood at the... Yeah. Well, the, the fourth one was uh, City Hall. Yeah. In Collingwood. But it's funny. Like, you must love to be in love. I really do love it. Now I'm doing it with with great foresight, great thought, great um, generosity of spirit. Well, that, but and also patience. I'm not rushing anymore. Yeah, you know, I've been with my current girlfriend uh, for fifteen months, and 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 back in the day, fifteen months, we would have been married and living together, and and you know, like well on our way. Yeah, I've slowed everything down. I, I I'm not in a hurry. Not that I'm, you know, 20 and I've got the rest of my life, yeah. but but you can't be in a hurry. That's my point. So, so, so you met somebody. You're cool with these questions? Yeah, why yeah, not? Yeah, so you met somebody and you fell in love? Um, I don't mean the current yeah. one. I'm trying to figure out Back how the, 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 the four work. It's, 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 it's funny. The process. It, yeah. I was always in too much of a hurry to lock it down. Yeah. I wanted that stability. I wanted to be in a relationship. I didn't want to be roaming. I could never date multiple people at the same time. A lot of people do. You know, the generation of online dating, um, swipe, I don't even know what it is, swipe left, swipe right, whatever yes, whatever I, gets you the dates. Yes. I couldn't do that. I couldn't go out with this one on Monday and this one on Thursday and this one on Sunday. Although there's nothing really wrong with that if you're looking to have a relationship that gels, that works, take your time, slow it down, have 72 dates before you think that you've found it. I couldn't do that. Yeah. It's like I had a date. Oh, that was really good. Let's do that again. Second one. Oh, wow, that's even better. Yeah. Third one. Let's live together. You know, that was practical. I might be exaggerating, but only slightly. Yeah. I wanted to lock it down out of I don't know what. Uh, example: parents. Well, Fred and Jackie, your 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 parents. Yeah. Sixty years they've been married. Yeah. So that's a hell of an example. They met in high. Yes, it is. They met in high school and they locked it down and they're still together. And your two brothers are they married? One is divorced and one is still married, and okay. he's got twenty five years, okay. thirty years. Does your dad? Uh, how old's your dad now? He's uh, eighty three. Did did he or was he the type of dad who would sit you down and say, Jeff, let's talk about relationships? Would he talk no, to you about that? No, no. And I wish he. I kind of wish he had. Yeah, there was none of that. He was the practical guy as it related to career and money, and he said all the right things about what you should do with your money. My mom was the one about relationships when you're like 12. I think I was 12. And my older brother was 14, 15. She sat us both down in the living room on the couch. I can still see the colors in the room. I can still see her face. What colors were they? Um, orange chair, yellowish gold couch, gold carpet, like the green old times. walls. Plastic you know. on the couch. No, not quite, but, no, no, but yeah. kind of that vibe, yeah. right? And, and, she's, and some of the wisdom she imparted included... Um, Try it out before you're sh before you're sure. She said, as I always used to say, Jeff, would you try your shoes on before? Would you buy your shoes before you tried them on? Yeah. That was the analogy she used for <laughs> obviously condoning premarital sex. I liked that. So um, she was cool with that. But she was. But she also said, listen, um, be kind, be gentle, be nice, don't be forceful. 
she was of that mind. She was of the no means no mind, and she was of the just be kind. You, you see yourself as a kind person, don't you? I do, but I did some unkind things, but I yeah. think the core of me is kind like my mom. Yes. And your father, is he kind as well? He is too, but she's just so sensitive and so outward about it. Yeah, yeah. That, that she's just so obvious about it. Like, she's the one that I want to be. Would your mom care about you interviewing Ozzy? Would that be a deal to her she, at all? Yeah, she would think it's cool because she remembers how important Ozzy and his music was to me at 15, 16 years old. Right. And, and she was a fan of Jim Morrison and the Doors. Oh, was she really? And she was a fan of uh, Peter Tosh and Bob Marley. She was? Yeah, through the influence of her younger sister. and, and, and But she was open to... Uh, if it was music, she was open to it. Elton John was her favorite, still oh. is. Oh. So so she thinks it's pretty cool that I get to talk to musicians for a living. Did you interview Elton John? Never yet. He, is he, I'm surprised he wasn't on your list of individuals whom you want wanted to interview. Tom Petty was on there. He, Tom Petty was on the list, and I never got to Tom. Springsteen? Springsteen. Yeah, there's a handful that I didn't get to. Springsteen, Dylan, Petty, Townsend, Daltrey, Clapton. And it's pretty. That's pretty much it. You think you'll still interview any of those guys? No, it's funny. And McCartney was another one. I don't want to speak to the ones that don't really open up. And Paul McCartney doesn't yeah, really yeah. open up. Agreed, totally. Agreed. Lennon did. McCartney didn't. Yes. So I don't really want to have that 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 surface level. Agreed. You know. Uh, there's another interesting fellow, and I checked him out online, and I have my notes here, and I've written so much about you, Sad. my dear friend. Is that I'm looking for it. You love his music. He's come up with seven or eight albums. Oh, probably Ray LaMontagne. Yes. Yeah. Ray LaMontagne. Yes. I, I really want to interview him. It's funny because. I don't see a lot of press on him. Why, why might that be? Uh, either he's not open to it, he's so private, he's so, you know, he holds his cards close, or he's not part of that machine, that publicity machine. Because he's made a few records, and so many of the songs sound so derivative in a good way, not stealing, but deriving from Pink Floyd. Yes. From all the parts of their career. And I'm like, why am I not reading... These, these these conversations about why he's influenced and how he's influenced so largely by Pink Floyd, I want to have that chat with him. Yeah, yeah. So that that's on my list, and that one I will pursue. You will pursue that? I'm building a studio, and I want to have him come see me. If I have to pay him to come see me, I will. How, I do, just, you, how do you pursue that? Usually, when artists get to a certain level, they don't necessarily do press unless they have a record to push. Um, but you get lucky. I think that everything happens when it's supposed to. So you find a way to their manager or their agent or both or them directly. Yeah. And you ask the question, hey, I'm a big fan. Here's why. Here's what I have to offer. Could we sit down and chat? Well, I could come to you. You could come to me. Whatever. And I guess what you have to offer is listeners. Yeah. Eyeballs and, ear and ears. Uh, uh, I'm going to start shooting video so that um, not only do you get a podcast or a radio show, you get a video representation yeah. on, on YouTube. That's what I'm gonna start offering. So I'll have a high quality videographer shooting your performance, right. shooting the conversation. We put it on YouTube and you get the eyeballs internationally. And, and, and I bring a, an audience with me and uh, hopefully that grows because people not only wanna hear it, they wanna see it. Yeah, what's interesting is I was watching you on, uh, on, on the breakfast show and uh, you got a bit of the nervous thing going on with your leg. I have that too. I have a leg, arm, head, shakes, <laughs> like you're weird. Just, you're just fucking shaking all over. Yeah. But, but I thought to myself, there's a guy who's full of energy. 
Like I didn't see that in a negative. I saw that in a positive because oh, that's me wow. too, Jeff. Yeah. And I'm, yeah. I, and he's sitting here asking interesting questions. And again, you're very generous of spirit. So you would point out the interesting questions as an example. He said he said to you, uh, "Well, what has rock and roll done for society?" And your response was, hmm, "Nobody's ever asked me that before." And your legs shaking away. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. It's my thinking. My see, legs shaking your legs while I'm thinking. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 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 So my, you have a lot of energy still, eh? My my spouses or ex-spouses always pointed out that, you know, Jeff, you could really um, uh, do better by stop shaking your body <laughs> when you're thinking. Yeah. I do have a lot of energy. I mean, I'm so passionate about all of it. I think that's all it is. I'm still a fan at heart. Yeah. Somebody criticized me, and now I don't look at it as criticism. They said, you know, Woods, always, uh, always just a fan, never an aficionado. Yeah. And it's, you know, yeah, maybe I don't know every fact about every artist that I ever spoke to, but I know more than most people. You really do. And I really care about it. And I really care about them. So listen to this. One of the uh, reviews of your book uh, on Amazon reads as follows. I worked in radio briefly back in the 80s, so a lot of this book uh, rings true for me. I've always liked Jeff's in interviews largely because he seems to be well-prepared I'm assuming you do a lot of work there. Relaxed, and he's enthusiastic, which you definitely are. Many of those interviews are printed here, and they show the rapport Jeff was able to build with rock folk. Uh, he asked intelligent, thought-provoking questions and never came across as starstruck. Yeah, and that's what I was mentioning before. The backdrop to the interviews is Jeff's own story, the cornerstone of which is a love of music, DJ label reps, or record store owners. His life has always reflected that. I don't listen to the radio anymore, which is interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. But this book was a great trip, trip back to when I did. That's incredible. That's, that's kind and, uh, and appreciated. There were some great reviews. Yeah, you got some really nice reviews. I've never learned anything from a great review, but I've really been appreciative and 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 and, and warmed by them and thankful for them. So, so you're not highly insecure like most creative people. I mean, I I am to the degree that I know it can always be better. Yeah. Every show I do, for a minute, I go, "That was pretty good," and then the next minute, I go, "I can do better. How can I do better? I will do better. I got to find a way to be better." Um, but I don't kill myself over stuff anymore. Did you used to? Oh, gosh, yeah. Yeah? The first 80% of my career. Me too. The way it sounds. Yeah. Um, the things I didn't say. The way I came across or think I came across. Yeah. I mean, it's hard, isn't it? It's very hard. And you had to represent yourself as someone who was very stalwart. Someone who was like very attached to the ground. And I mentioned before when we were doing the show at 640, uh, you know, we would always say, hello, how you doing? You're always very pleasant. But once we had a run-in. Yeah, and I'd forgotten that. And I'm not good with authority. <laughs> Are you? I was always a rebel against authority, yeah. sure, yeah. Right, and yeah. and I was too. So when, I, when authority comes at me, my natural response is, you know what, man, I'm coming back at you. So yeah. I came back at you. Yeah. And you stood your ground. <laughs> and I thought, Avram, shut up, man. <laughs> you know, it's time for you to shut up. <laughs> well, yeah, wow. I didn't remember that, but now I can totally see it. Um, and, 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 you know, when you're young as a manager, at least I was, um, sometimes I could have been softer, yeah. gentler in my approach. Um, I could be a bit harsh. and uh, But not often. Um, 
sometimes in defense of other people. I know in that situation, somebody you know made a complaint and I was going to fix it. Yeah, right. You don't have right. to fix everything. Right. It, the, the smart manager says, well, how can you deal with it to the employee that's having the problem? And help them deal with it. Yes, correct. Let that like build on their idea rather than go and you know play uh, referee and so, fix so it. So I interviewed Steve Couch. Yeah, Steve you, Couch, you, the radio man you from know CFRB. Steve? I know him to say hello. Yeah, so Steve was our boss when we went over to uh, uh, CFRB. We were actually uh, fired from Toxics <laughs> Forty by Pat Cardinal. Oh right! Yeah, we were yeah, fired. Like so many people, well, I'm sure. Well, we what happened was we did our final show, and Marty would always bring in live musical guests. So we had Michael Bublé would come on before his star took off. Cool. Yeah, it was kind of cool. Right. Marty claims that he asked for bus fare home. I think that's just mythology. <laughs> um, but the last show, we brought forty homeless guys into that studio, and they weren't huge studios. They were a choir. And they had come from Montreal. And there was a lot of food that we had served. And certainly they were hungry, so they ate per what they needed and wanted. But I guess we made a little bit of a mess and maybe we were too loud. And I think Pat just had enough of us, right? <laughs> the other thing I did, too, was I, I canvassed one of the on-air people on a show. We were doing a fundraiser. And I was specifically told, do not canvass that person. They are not generous people. They won't like it. And this was an important on-air person. So me, <laughs> you know, Jeff, and I Tell said, me not to, I said, you know what? Let's say the person's name is Carol. I said, Carol, I'm just wondering, how much would you like to give today? <laughs> the poor woman slid down in her chair, you know, and we got fired. But we went to CFRB, and, and, and I, I've always had a you know good feeling about Steve, so I interviewed him. He said the same thing as you. He said, yeah, I could have been softer. But I didn't mean it. <laughs> he goes, I was trying to do my best, right? You do the best with what you're given and, and, and the training you've had and, and where you are in your life. You do the best you can. And you, you can't beat yourself up over it. You can only learn and grow from it. So and, I mean, what a huge job you had, too. I had Pro a lot of people to music manage. Music director, Q107? Yeah, mu the music director was, 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 a, was a, a lot of work. Yeah. But the responsibility came with the program director title. Because then you're managing people, not yeah. just managing a playlist. Yeah. They're both very important elements of running a radio station, but managing the people is, is, is you're dealing with uh, the frailty of humanity. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I love this definition of being a manager. To manage is to grow people. Correct. If you're not growing the people, then you're not doing your job. Yeah. It's not just about making money for the company. It's not just about growing the audience. It's about managing the people that are doing the work. Interesting. And what was your rule for managing the morning guys? The Joey Vendettas, Gene Valaitis. I always looked at it as uh, an opportunity to support the things they were doing great that you should support and to nudge and coax them down roads that would make them more successful and in doing that would make the radio station more successful. Yeah. So I'll give you a great example. I hope it's a great example. Bro Jake Edwards, who uh, was at Q107 for some number of years, but really his career flourished and was most expansive and then and, and, and where he almost retired. Rock 101 Vancouver, which was part of the big chorus chain. Yes. He was the morning man at Rock 101. And so I became the program director when I left Q107 Toronto. So now I'm the boss of the guy who first hired me back in the 80s. Yeah. And... So now I'm managing the guy who was my hero, the reason why I took a job in Halifax in 1985. Fast forward to 2004, I'm his boss. What can I do to help him? Do I stay out of the way? Does he know everything and I don't need to do anything with him? Right. No. 
we would have morning show meetings, which he loathed, but he, you know, came to. He had to come, right? We didn't have them daily. We'd have them every other day. Yeah. And, and so my thing was, Jake at his strongest was a storyteller. Because you go to a party and Jake's there. He's the center of attention because, not because he's seven feet tall, he's a shorter man, because he's funny yeah. and he's warm and you, you want to hear his stories. People want to hear what happened to you. Those are the best stories. Yes, so correct. the other day I was walking, you know, what happened? Yeah. And he was the best at telling those stories. Right. But he would get on the radio and he would do shtick. He would, he would tell jokes and he would try to make everybody laugh. When people laughed and felt good and wanted to keep listening was when he just told stories, right. not did right. shtick. That's right. And so I coaxed him to do more of that. Remember the other day I was down at your uh, river house? He had a couple houses. And we were laughing about the thing, and you told us that story about the other thing. And it was so funny. Yeah. Do those. Tell those. And what, what did he respond? And, and, and he just you know, had the look, the look <laughs> yeah. that said, I know what I'm doing. Yes. I've been doing this since before you were, you know. And, and so he was really stubborn about it. And that's okay. Did I you just, move him at all? A little wee bit. A little wee bit. I ended up leaving before he was moved far enough to be moved. You think, you think John on Q107 is a good storyteller now? John is a good storyteller. He's a great storyteller. I think he's, I I think he's, I think he's at the top of storytelling. I actually do too. Right? Because he's creative. He's charming. He's funny. He has a great memory. He's bright. He's very bright. He uses words that aren't too big for the room, but right. uh, he's an intelligent man. Yes. And I he, love John And he's got a good right-hand man, too. He has good people in the room. <laughs> um, but more than that, it's just John can tell a good story. And John has a good sense of timing. And John's John. He also is extraordinarily insightful. Like, in other words, as I mentioned before, he'll come into a room, he'll look around, and he'll see it. Yeah. He'll know what color your eyes are. Yeah, he is. He's aware. He's, he's aware. He's extremely aware. He's also I, loving. He talks beautifully about his daughters. Right? He really does. That was probably the best thing that ever happened to John was to uh, marry the woman he married and have four daughters. Yeah. And it, he blossomed as an individual, as a human being through that. And he's still doing it today. You ride uh, motorcycles with him? I used to. We don't ride that much together anymore. But he rides, I think, less now because he has four daughters. Yeah. Less time. And I suspect uh, the, the, the feeling of... Um, uh, mortality um, only grows when you have young children. Yeah, I stopped riding my bike after I had my son. Is that right? You know what would happen, Jeff? I would be riding up to Stouffville, and in my head, I would see a branch running across the width of the highway. And this was all my imagination. It throws you, doesn't it? It does. I start to get scared. Yeah. How about you? I've had those moments. I shake, I shake my head and, and move on. You move on. Um, I still love to ride. Um, I'm a little more um, safe now, cautious. What do you ride? Uh, I'm riding an Indian chieftain, a new Indian chieftain, a big bike, you know, 1800 cc. That's a nice bike. I love it. Um, I, I just love to ride still, and and I, as long as I'm physically able, I'll continue to ride. Yeah, yeah. So, a couple questions about Q107. Are, do you see yourself as a Q107 historian? More than most. I, yeah. I mean, in terms of program directors that worked there, I think I knew the most about what they did right. over the years musically. 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 Do you happen to know the... Uh do you happen to know the first song they played on Q107? It was a Murray McLaughlin song. That is right, Hard man. Rock Town. That is right. Right? Yeah. Not even a great song. 
No. Not an awful song, but not a great. It doesn't sound like this. You would know what he would guess that. That's excellent. That's right. excellent. Do you know anything about the original lineup, the Morning Guys, Afternoon, and so on? I don't know the actual day parts. Donaby was there, wasn't he? Yeah, John Donaby was the afternoon guy. Who else was on the air? They had uh, John Elsha? wrote. John wrote in the morning. Yeah. Uh, Murray Smith in late mornings, and uh, John Donaby, Marianne Carpentier, Carpentier in evenings, and Scott Sherwood at night. Now, now listen to some of the names who have been on Q107 throughout the years. These are fascinating people. I'm assuming you know them all. I'm interested in what you Try have to say. Try me. Uh, you know, uh, uh, Jesse and Gene. Of course. Yeah. I, I, I was doing overnights three nights a week when they were on in the morning for, for some time. And yeah. they were really wonderful to me. Were they really good to you? Yeah. They were, eh? They could be pricks, I'm sure, to a lot of people, but they happened to be nice to me. Yeah. Especially, yeah. especially Gene. Especially Jesse, sorry. He's a good man. Jesse Dillon was always at the, he was operating the show, and Gene was running back and forth to the newsroom because oh, he was the news was. guy. Okay. But Jesse was like, Woodsy, Woodsy, stick around. It'll be fun. <laughs> and so he was so generous. They called you Woodsy? Yeah, I think yeah? so. Were you a hockey player? Because uh, in hockey, they always have names like that. I think it was just the Woods thing. Woodsy. I played hockey, like, you know, as a kid. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Woodsy. I get yeah, Woodsy. Yeah. They used to call me the Jew. <laughs> hey, the Jew, bring me that record. How about. Uh, <laughs> see, I could say that. Right? right? Yeah, I'm okay. I, I with won't that. call you that. Yeah, yeah. I don't mind. Oh, here's a good one. A guy <laughs> yeah. who I was really fond of. I was really fond of him. Scruff Connors. Yeah, you know, Scruff, uh, before I decided to be in radio or take radio as a college course scruff was the guy yeah he was silly shit like beat the baloney <laughs> pound the baloney had to guess how much the baloney weighed yeah, yeah goofy when 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 scruff was the morning show host and gene was his you know co-host i found that juxtaposition great because gene played it fairly straight and let scruff be scruff and i thought scruff was the greatest he was a time. special man wasn't he, he really was he was great on the phone great with listeners great in public I I ended up working with him after that in uh, in Edmonton. He where passed, right? He did pass. You know who was great though yeah. is his son. His son's good. He has a wonderful son. Uh, why am I blanking on his name? Um, He's an on-air guy. Yeah. He's in Ottawa now. He's in Ottawa. He was at Hits FM for a while. He was out west. Is he like his dad or Why he marches the beat of his own He's drum? a lot like his dad, yeah. but yeah. Uh, but he's more responsible. <laughs> he's, he's more responsible. Less of a loose cannon, as it were. Well, well, Scruff had these desires to shut down all the toilets in the entire city, I think. Was he the guy who said, okay, on three, everybody flush their toilets? Was he the guy? I don't remember that yeah, one. Shit like that. Well, you know, in Edmonton, you know what he did? Quintessential Scruff later in his career. Um, we were at a CTV affiliate, but we happened to be the rock station upstairs in the same building. Yeah. So Scruff would call down to the receptionist and, and page Michael Hunt. <laughs> and she would invariably uh, page Mike Hunt. <laughs> and, and, and Scruff would be in hysterics, rolling <laughs> around the floor, as would all of us. He was a child. Yeah, he was, he a, was child. a child. He was the, a child. The kid. problem with Scruff... Oh, TJ Connors, by the way, his son. TJ Connors. Wonderful okay. man. The, the problem with Scruff was, yeah, like he never grew up. No. So he didn't take care of himself. He was. He had a funny voice. Uh, he was very raspy, wasn't he? Yeah, it was just... just yeah, how you do an afro, how you do it? Like yeah. a big teddy bear. He was good, right? But no, he didn't take care of himself. Not at all. No, he was, he was really overweight, heart attacks, just a mess. It's kind of like radio guys either take care of themselves or they really don't. Yeah, some of them turn it around. Like I saw a story the other day, uh, um, um, Howard, Howard Glassman, Humble yeah. and, uh, why am I gabbing on that? Humble and Fred. Humble and Fred, So yeah. they have a show still, blah, blah, blah. But but Howard Glassman uh, quit boozing, 
not that he was a big boozer um, and not that he was ever really heavy, but he, he he looked at himself and said, I don't feel well. Yes. I'm going to change my diet. I'm not going to drink. I'm going to feel better. And yeah. he did. Yeah. So his not taking care of himself didn't look like Scruff Connors. Right. I guess no. it's all it's all specific to how you feel about how you are. You know, it's, it's, it's a compelling thing about a guy like Scruff. We went in there, Marty and I, and some people were just so incredibly kind to us. Bob Mackowitz was nice to us. Yeah. Scruff was really, really kind to us. And then you get a kick out of these guys, so you sort of start to roll with their motif. Sure. And then at some point in time, either then or later on, you start to realize that's the thing that killed him. Right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he was fucking on the edge. He really was. He really was. Yeah. I mean, it, ha- 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 it had a lot to do with his substance abuse. And, and that was my thing, drinking. I mean, I grew, Did you drink a lot? I grew up in a culture of alcohol, yeah. the 70s, yeah. right? Yeah. Post-Mad Men. Yeah. And, and, you know, back when everybody had a bar in their office. <laughs> I saw that as a kid in my dad's office. What did you drink? Uh, you know, it was beer and it was wine and it was rye and it was rum and it was vodka and it was tequila. It was pretty much everything but yeah, scotch. I should ask, what didn't you drink? Right? You know? yeah. I well, didn't like scotch. Everything else Were you much. a fall down guy? I could be. Yeah. 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 Because yeah. I didn't know when to go home. If the party if the party went till five, I was there, there till ten after. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Always. So did you have a good time? I had a great time. Yeah. But I had a lot of hangovers. And yeah. Debilitating hangovers. Yeah. And when you're fifty something, your hangover lasts two, three days. At least mine did. Do you drink now? No. Well, I have a two drink limit. And that's not like if I have more than two drinks, I'm going to turn into a pumpkin and die. It's more like I, I know that I'm going to feel great if I have one or two. I'm not going to feel great if I have more than two. Marijuana? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, me too. Yeah. You like getting high? I, I do. I, I do for social uh, fun. I'm with a buddy and we've always done that together and we smoke a bit of weed and we have a laugh. Are you great when you're high? You must be a blast. I'm more creative. Right. Well, you know, I don't know who said it. It was probably uh, the the great writer who said, write drunk, edit sober. Uh, Okay. Um, Okay. So I, I feel the same way about weed. David Crosby, I think, said... He purported, he believed that he was really highly creative when he was high, but later on when he stopped smoking or stopped smoking so much, he thought, those weren't my best days. Now they are where my head's more clear. Well, that's good. It's probably the way he feels. His his material might not be as yeah. great. Yeah. You know, every artist who, who gets into their latter years, they're like, yeah, that thing is the greatest work I've ever done. Right. And as a listener, I'm like, well, no, I'm glad you feel that way. But actually, in the 1960s was the or 70 or whatever was the greatest work you ever did as a listener. Uh, uh, but I'm glad you feel good about it because that's the main thing: how you feel, why you're motivated, how you're motivated. Doesn't matter what I think. Did Bowie get better and better? He had great moments right to the end, but like any artist, he had peaks and valleys. Did McCartney get worse and worse? He still has some great material, and he has some really bad material. Good songs mixed with bad ones, as was always the case with Paul, I think. John used to call some of his songs like his granny shit, (laughs) (laughs) like Maxwell Silver Hammer. I mean, no one needs to hear that song. Although Helter Skelter is one of the greatest rock records ever made, and that's Paul. That's Paul. But he had a lot of granny shit. And he you still said does. you had about five hundred references to Beatles in my book. Yeah. So, like, are you here a huge Beatle guy? I am. Um, so there was this kid up the street when I was nine, ten years old, 
my brother was three years older, his best friend was Anthony Bertram. Yeah. Anthony Bertram's mother was Shirley Harmer, which was this great singer who would get on Carson, and you know, she was known in the day. Yeah. You know. So by virtue of her entertainment business leanings, Anthony grew up this music freak. Beatles were at the top of his list. So he knew everything about the Beatles, everything that somebody in the early 70s could know about them. So imagine my surprise, it's like 1971, 72, and he's playing me all these Beatle records, and I think it's the greatest thing ever, and then I hear that they broke up? How can my, my new favorite band have broken up like two years ago? Yes. Um, but it didn't stop me from learning everything I ever could about the Beatles and loving their music. And I listened to Beatles yesterday. What? I'll listen to Beatles later today. What did you listen to yesterday? Uh, White Album. Which would you say is the best album? It is for me because it was the one I latched on to the most yeah. first. How do you describe the Beatles in terms of their creativity? Are they the Leonardo da Vinci's of rock and roll? That's well put. Yeah. They are. Yeah. They are, right, Jeff? Well, you know, people say this, and it's true, you know, that they use the studio as an instrument. And, 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 and they produced records in a way that hadn't been done before. They found new ways to make a record. It wasn't just four guys working in a room. The studio was actually an instrument. The way they manipulated tape, ran tapes backwards, echo, right. uh, distortion, all of this stuff that right. hadn't been right. done, at least hadn't been done in a commercial way. Yes. Hadn't been done to the masses before. Right, and then they come up with stuff like, why don't we do it in the road? Like, what's that? Simple, cool, honest. Right. I loved it. Well, the White Album was really the most diverse record they made. It helps that it was four sides of, of music rather than just two, um, so they could really stretch. Some people used to say, uh, I mean, when George Harrison put out his first solo album, All Things Must Pass, here's a triple album. And they said to John Lennon, what do you think? Of, did you hear George's record? Yeah. And he goes, it could have been shorter. But actually, is that what, is that what he <laughs> yeah. said? Really, yeah. Typical John, right? Yeah, Taking yeah, the yeah. piss out of But his... you can't take these guys at face value because McCartney said when John was killed, he said, well, that's a drag. Yeah. yeah and you know. Yeah. You and know. you know he didn't mean flippantly. Yeah. 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 Well, Liverpool, English humor in general. Yeah. But then take it to the extreme of these kids that grew up in blue collar Liverpool. They're yeah. going to take the piss out of everything that anybody ever says. Yeah. I love them. I so, love them all. But George became my favorite because. Because, you know, he was kind of ignored. I ignored him as a Lennon fan. And then I go back and hear the songs that weren't included on All Things Must Pass. Yeah. The extra tracks that came out in the early 2000s. And I'm like, these have greater depth and, and, and richness of sound than anything the Beatles did solo. Are, are there huge George fans out there? Oh, God, yeah. Are there? Yeah, the, the kind of the coolest place to go and learn about George not only his music, but his life beyond music, is Harrison Archives on Instagram. Oh. So you get Tom Petty and you get everybody that ever met George talking about him. So excerpts from interviews. Yeah. Including his wife and his son, Danny. And it's just this richness of... You, you get to learn that George had the greatest depth of all four Beatles. Even and, greater than and, John. And, and are, you, are you talking about intellectual, emotional, mental depth? What's all of it, yeah. All, all of it. All of it, I think. And musical. Yeah. He was as musical as the other guys. He was. He wasn't as prolific as John Was Ringo as musical? No. He was not. <laughs> no. An incredible drummer. Yeah. Nobody could have done the drum parts on Beatle Records to the, um, <laughs> to the service of those songs better than Ringo did. I believe that. 
No question. And every great drummer points to Ringo as the great drummer. Do they really? Yeah, not just from a timing standpoint, like a technical standpoint, from a creativity standpoint. Not like Keith Moon. Keith Moon was a crazy, amazing rock and roll drummer the, with the, the, greatest, he, yeah. the greatest energy of anyone. And Bonza was the heaviest uh, 70s rock drummer right, of anyone. Right. But Ringo, talk about in service of the songs and creativity, there was no one better. No one could have done it better. I don't think you'll find a quality drummer that could um, disagree with that. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I love Ringo. Yeah, and your take on what rock and roll is is a guitar, is a bass, is a drum, and a rebellious singer, right? Mostly, so yeah. So who, who would have been the rebellious singer in the in the Beatles? All oh, of them or John? John, mostly. John, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. God, yeah. I mean, revolution. The quick one. Right. The hit one. Ugh. It, it doesn't get more rebellious than that. And I mean, bands have covered the Beatles, but they never quite capture the spirit of those songs like the Beatles did. Yeah. And part of it's because it's a different time now. Right. You can't reenact what happened in 1968 yes. in, in, in this day and age. And then when you watch a concert today in South Africa or in Madison Square, and Paul is up there and he says, now I'm going to sing uh, Yesterday. <laughs> and, you know, you, it's one of those things you just start to, to tear up. It's like revisiting a, a family member, you know? It is. If you heard those songs when you were somewhere in that age group yeah. between like 10 and 17, like you kind of had to hear it then for the first time yeah. to be able to have that emotional connection and to reminisce. Uh, if you hear it now for the first time, you're never going to have that connection. Did you connect with Yoko when you interviewed her? You know, I interviewed her uh, through, a pen, through a pen. I, I sent her the questions. I never met Yoko. I met everybody around John and Yoko, the photographers, the management. But I never met her. I met her son, Sean. Didn't meet Julian. What was Sean like? Sean was sweet. You know, I was walking down Queen Street one day three or four years ago, and I saw him with his girlfriend, and they were walking towards the horseshoe. And uh, so I went into the Rivoli, because a, friend, a friend's band was playing the Rivoli. So I met the Rivoli, and I see a, a singer friend of mine, and... Uh, I said, I just saw Sean Lennon on the street. Yeah. She goes, yeah, they're playing the shoe tonight. Oh, cool. I said, you're kidding. That's cool. She goes, they're going to be on the stage in like 10 minutes. Yeah. So I ran over to the shoe and caught their set. Yeah. And there's Sean on stage playing a big old Gibson guitar, I think, looking a lot like his dad yeah. with his long hair and his glasses and sounding like John and playing some really psychedelic licks. And I thought, I'm so lucky to see him. I got to meet him now. Yeah. So, you know, when the show's over, I just go downstairs and know where the dressing room is. And I just sort of hang out. And there he is outside of the dressing room, right. kind of holding court, as John would have, yes. talking to whoever was there to talk to. I'd had a few drinks. You're a little loaded. A, a little bit. So I, I, Do you need that? No. Yeah. I thought I did. No, it was, it was more just habit. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes yeah. it's not that you need it. It's just you always did it. But so, we, so what happens we to you? We had some good words together. What happens when you're watching? such a concert what happens to you inside oh man i can't sit still yeah. you know when you go to a theater show and uh, theater shows when it's a really rock band but you kind of have to sit because you're not supposed to dance in the eye i'm not a dancer but i move and sometimes i look around and i think to myself yeah right how how are these people sitting still right i'm, I'm shocked I, I don't know how you do it. Me too. I'm like not a, a dancer either, right? but I move. But your head at least has to. Yeah. And 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 you. I don't know your legs. I mean, 
I'm moved by it. Jeff, Jeff, do you remember what Thorogood told you about why rock and roll makes sense? Do you yeah, remember his response? You don't. Yeah. Can you repeat any of it? Well, gosh. <laughs> well, I, 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 the end of it is, you know, you you rock a baby to sleep. You don't you don't want to sit. You don't reggae it. Yeah, yeah, right, right. <laughs> He's right. And he goes, when you're making a baby, he goes, you use the rocking motion. Yes. In other I words, mean, rock makes sense. It was a euphemism for sex in the first place. Yes. Rock and roll. Yeah. You know, and yeah. Because your question to him was, you're more of a rock guy than you are a blues guy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he rocked out the blues. He made the blues more palatable for people who didn't want to hear just simple 12 bar blues too, well, yeah. too slow yes he yes. rocked it up so do you ever jam do you ever play i do yeah i jammed the other day in a in a barn <laughs> in a barn <laughs> I, I i i put my kid away because i moved into a place where i don't really have room for all the gear but i have all the gear still but i went to this barn and my buddy had some drums set up and he goes do you play i said not particularly well it's been too long but you know i got behind the shitty kid and uh, banged on the drums for a what, while what were you playing he was he was playing the banjo, so it was like uh, if Jack White and his sister, you know, drums and and guitar. He was using a banjo and I was using a shitty drum kit, and he was just like jamming, and I was banging out a beat to match it. And it sounds like I'm playing the same song every time, just a bit quicker, <laughs> a bit slower. But I had the best compliment paid to me, a, a musician that I interviewed for my podcast, a guy named David Russell. He's from the Collingwood area. Just he's kind of Tom Waits ish. Um, and he's really good and a really kind guy. So when he does jam night at this local club, um, sometimes there's not a drummer behind the kid. The drummer goes out for a smoke or disappears. Or who knows? So David always says, hey, get behind the drum kit. I say, yeah, you, you sure it's okay with the guy? He goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And, and so I, I play a few songs and people get up and jam and I play a few more and then, you know, an hour passes. And he goes, you know the great thing about your drumming? And I said, no, tell me. He said, your timing's perfect. He goes, you're not fancy, but oh. your timing's perfect. Oh. Like Phil Rudd for ACDC. Yeah. It wasn't fancy, but man, it was it was it was a beat. Yeah. And and so that's my strength, I guess. That's a, you know, it's an interesting <laughs> thing when someone actually sees you. Um, I've said this before on the show. There's a buddy of mine named Erwin Elman. He essentially was within his job responsible for all the children in Ontario, like almost like an ombudsman overseeing, especially foster kids and kids on the reserves. To make a long story short, Erwin told me that some of the kids who grow up in homes where the parents are inebriated or there's deep, deep poverty survive, get by, maintain, and grow ultimately is because someone saw them even for a moment. He said when he was in grade school, his teacher stood next to him and she said to the entire class, kids, Erwin is, and he's eight years old, Erwin is an excellent writer and Erwin loves sports. So Erwin, why don't you write an article for us about the Toronto Maple Leafs? And of course, Erwin's sitting there, you know, like they say in Yiddish, he was tittering, he was like, you know, scared. Comes back, writes an article, she reads it to the class, and it's a really good article. She said, kids, Irwin's is an outstanding writer, and one day he's going to take this forward and make something really important of himself. He said that in itself, Jeff, helped him get through life. That was the basis for yeah. his future, yeah. wasn't it? Very much so. Wonderful. Somebody saw him. Very, very much so. And you see that people who have the opposite in their life... Aren't seen. If they're criticized in a way that is very traumatic... Leon Russell said in an interview that one day when he was about six years old, he was playing doctor and nurse with his cousin. You know, he was six years old. 
his aunt comes in and she starts to malign Leon. And she takes Leon, brings him out to the rest of the family and said to the family, folks, Leon was just sexually disgusting to his cousins. He maintains that that fucked up a lot of his life because he was somewhat agoraphobic. It was Elton John who brought him out again, yeah, right? It right. Was, yes. He stayed on the bus. I just spoke of this yesterday. Yeah. Oh, did you really? Not, not that sexual incident, yeah. though. But the fact that he yeah. should have, could have, might have, would have risen to heights that were greater than he did. Yeah. Like Elton John did. Yes. Because Elton John says, Where did I learn a lot of my piano from? I yeah. learned it from Leon. <laughs> did you like Leon? I did like Leon a lot. One of my favorites. I was just comparing him the other day. He, he was a wonderful player. Um, Darcy Yates is a bass player and right. producer in Toronto. And Darcy, to me, looks like a young Leon Russell. Does he? So I was showing somebody, I go, look how much Leon Russell and Darcy Yates look alike. Yeah. And then we started talking about Leon, but that is a wrinkle I did not know. Yeah. I, I call it a wrinkle. That yeah. kind of, it's a bigger, that's a big deal when you're a kid. Oh, man, he literally said, he said, Elton John, this is what he said. He said, Elton John pulled me out of the gutter. And so much later in his yeah, yes, life. Yes, because... I'm sure you know situations where guys are just flying in their career and then boom, they just torpedo for whatever reason. And a lot of times it's mental. Yeah, it is. You know, you, you reminded me of something I've never spoken about. When I was probably five, yeah. my mom reminded me of this recently. She said, what's her name across the street? The mother of what's her name? <laughs> you know, yeah, you those. never remember the names, yeah. but you remember the, the incidents. Yeah. What they say? You never remember uh, what was said, but you remember how it made you feel. Yeah, so this woman comes across with, with her kid and with me, you know, one on each side of her, one, you know, one in each hand. And she says to my mother, there's something wrong with your son. My mother goes, oh yeah? Tell me more. She goes, he asked, to, for, he asked her if he could see her. You know, pull her pants down. You know, you show me yours, I'll show you mine kind of thing, which yeah. kids do. Yeah. Same kind of thing. Of course. Most kids do it. Of course. My mom goes, no, I mean, Jeffrey, don't do that. But that's what kids do. There's nothing wrong with him. You could argue it's healthy. Yeah. 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 It's curiosity. Yeah. It's innocent curiosity. Um. <laughs> How come you never had kids? I never felt... Like my relationship was stable enough because I never wanted to be a single dad. Yeah. It's that practical. And I was right. My relationships weren't stable enough to have kids. Some people would say that had you had the child, maybe the relationship would have been more. And I don't buy that. Yeah. No, you have to have a solid foundation. I would like to be with the mom of my kids forever or not have the kids. So that was my way of thinking. So I never had any. And then by the time I had a stable relationship, now that my partner's kids know this, she just told them a couple of weeks ago, I don't mind saying it publicly, we had gone out from October to January, yes. two, two years ago, and she got scared because of my past. She, she thought, I don't know if this guy's going to stick around, be loyal, be faithful. So she she... She said, I need some time alone. She broke up with me, right? I was devastated. It was the January after the October. I was beside myself because I thought we we're perfect together. And I've finally grown up. I'm ready to have this relationship. And she got afraid. So she bailed on it. And you know what brought us back together? What? And I'm glad she told me. She called me and said, I'm pregnant at 46 years old, right? She was. I was 55. She was 46. And she said, I had to tell you. Um, and I 
my reaction was, oh, you poor thing. Because I, I, she had lost a lot of pregnancies. Yes. She has three kids, but she had, she'd been pregnant nine times. She lost one at full term, and she lost three or four. Oh, that's rough. Quite prematurely. That's rough. Yeah. So, and I thought, there's no, she's, this isn't safe. I know what has to be done. After the phone call, she sat with it for a couple of days, and then we got in touch and chatted, and she said, the way you were soft and kind and um, empathetic and nurturing with me, now I know. You are the one. Oh, that's and nice. And we got back together oh, because nice. she got pregnant. Yeah. That's really nice. It was the sweetest thing. That's beautiful. Right? Yeah. And 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 I never would have guessed that that would bring her back. So, so and it wasn't my motivation. I was just legitimately worried for so, her. So you're in love? Oh, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. For real. Love isn't, love is what you give, not what you get. And I always was looking at what I'm getting out of this thing. So you're good at taking? I was really good at taking, <laughs> but I was, I, I was never fair in relationships. And I mean, that, I was good at giving in some regards, but when the going got rough, I would bail or I would do stupid shit. Now I, I, I get that love is about what you give, not what you get. And you can see her clearly. You know what her needs are. Absolutely. Yeah. Without, without question. Yeah. And she knows yeah. your needs. She really does. So you love being with her? Yeah. Do you? Yeah. yeah. It's funny. I mean, I tell her this. I used to think, like, I mean, sex is pretty high on my list of things that need to be like really sex? spectacular. Yeah. Have you had a lot of it? Uh, people always think it's probably way more than it is. I would think so. Yeah. I mean, she still can't believe my number. You know, I'm not going to reveal it. But, you know, rock stars are into the, you know. Thousands. I'm not, I'm not that guy. You're not Gene Simmons. I'm double digits, but I'm not triple. Yeah. Right? Yeah. She goes, you must be triple digit. I'm, no. Yeah. No. I w but I was married for a lot of it, too. Yeah. So I wasn't out running around. Um, my point is, I didn't think I would ever be satisfied. And I'm massively satisfied. That's we, nice. we're, 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 like, we're, like a, we're like a raging fire when we're together. That's beautiful. It is. It is. You want to hear some asking. really nice lyrics from rock and roll? Please, yes. In light of what we speak of here? Maybe you could tell me what song this comes from. Okay? <laughs> Maybe I can. Let's see how fucking now bright I feel you like are, buddy. Yeah. I'm shitty with lyrics, by Jeff the way. Jeff Woods, ladies and gentlemen. Right, go ahead. Don't let the sound of your own wheels drive you crazy. Not crazy. Take it easy. The yeah, Eagles. The Eagles, yeah. yeah this is one good. of my favorite songs. Jackson Brown wrote most of it, and um, and, and Glenn Fry wrote that, 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 that one verse that made it a hit. <laughs> do, do you sing at all? I think about it all the time. You have a wonderful speaking voice. Wow. Person. I'm going to... Sounds ridiculous. When does a fifty-six-year-old man become a singer? I'm gonna start singing more. Oh, good I for sing you. when I'm alone. Yeah, and I sing to my girlfriend, and she thinks it's okay. She's a little biased, but I think that everybody has it in them to sing. Can you sing this line for us right now? Go ahead. Yeah, this one here. Don't let the sound of your wheels drive you crazy. No, you no. can't sing that. No, I could, but no, it won't sound good. Yeah. Okay. Is there something that would sound good? Probably, but it won't come to me now because I'm on the spot. Okay. It's only right that you should play the way you feel it. I don't know that one. Dreams Fleetwood Mac. Oh, right. One of these mornings, you're going to rise up singing. You're going to spread your wings, child, and take to the sky. <laughs> oh, my God. That sounds so familiar, but it sounds like about 10 things. It's Jan yeah, it does, doesn't it? That's Janice Joplin. That's Janice. Summertime, okay. This, did you like Bad Company? 
Yeah, I mean, I've interviewed Paul Rogers many times. The greatest voice in rock and roll. He's certainly up there. He's certainly up you know, there. You know, technically, yeah. And, well, who and comes close to him, Jeff? I like his stuff with Free. That's the yeah, so rawest I. stuff. So, so do I. Yeah. So do I. Bad Company was a little bit too commercial. It was a little... But Seagull is a great track it's from that debut album, right? beautiful song. Oh, and, and Ready for Love. Yeah, yeah. Okay, here we go. Um, this is an easy one. But if this ever-changing world in which we're living makes you give in and live cry. Live and let die, say, baby. Live and let die. <laughs> Paul. Yeah, Wings. Paul, right? Yeah. Here's a good one. I never lost one minute of sleeping worrying about the way that things might have been. Oh, God. Yeah, right? Proud Murray. Perfect. Perfect. I'm a huge fan of, of Fogarty. And he's one of the toughest guys to emulate. Although those songs were fairly simple, yeah, yeah. the CCR songs, yeah. he's really tough to emulate. You don't find a lot of CCR cover bands that are effective. You like Aerosmith? I'm a big fan of Aerosmith. Yeah, especially in the 70s. Right. I got tired of them in the 80s. You ever read stuff about these guys and you get turned off of their music? Because there's all kinds hmm. of stuff out there right now about Aerosmith and how he, what, what's the lead singer? Uh, Steven Tyler. How he was inappropriate to a woman that he was with. All, all kinds of shit. Well, you know? We're all inappropriate at one time or another about one thing or another. Fair enough. Um, Fair enough. I like Steven. I like Steven. A friend of mine sings in Aerosmith now, Susie McNeil. It's a friend yeah. of yours? Yeah. Do they tell you great stories? Yeah. Some of them I can't repeat. But no, by and large, Steven's a real sweetheart of a man. And they don't get paid that much, do they? Who's that? Like, for instance, your friend. She would get a pretty good... She She's a backup a pretty, singer or what? Yeah, you know, Stephen hired her uh, to fill in some of the... I mean, his voice is still absolutely incredible know, for a 70-something-year-old man. But but it's, it's nice to have someone else singing with you on those nights when you're not 100%. Yes. So that, so that when you're playing... Uh, Las Vegas and people are paying you know hundreds of dollars to see you that it sounds good well Mick's done a good job of that Mick, Mick brings has, on a lot of women singers he, yeah he has Lisa Fisher was my favorite oh uh, me right? too yeah, me too so great unbelievable the, the combination of Lisa Fisher and Bernard Fowler and, uh, and Blondie Chaplin the three of them she's changed a lot she really has she's changed a we lot we all do yeah we all do she was we a the... smoke show yes she was <laughs> but we're not supposed to be smoke shows in our 70s yeah, and 80s yeah we're supposed to change right <laughs> okay so here's a little game I, I've never played but I say I like to play this game do it it's called Jewish or non-Jewish rock star. Oh, cool. Yeah, I like the side of that. <laughs> you know, they, I was married to a Jewish woman. Oh, how was that? And you probably knew her. Yeah, well, can we ask her name? Marcy Cook. Maybe I know Maybe her. You she ended up selling uh, Radio 4 in the building that you worked in for 640 when it was uh, Mojo. Okay, yeah, okay. She was successful as hell. Did you turn into a Jew at all? A little bit. Like what? What, what would you have done? Um, I got married under the hoopah. I broke the glass. Who was your rabbi? Um, It was a female, and I don't remember her name. Elise Goldstein, baby? I don't know that it was Goldstein. Did you like Judaism? Um, I I liked it because I loved Marcy's parents so much, and Leo Cook, who's not with us anymore. Anything Leo had to say, I respected and admired, and uh, his, his faith... And his politics, I just, I just wrapped my head around, and, and whatever Leo said, I was good with. Did you take anything out of Judaism at that time that stayed with you that you thought, yeah, this is kind of cool? Not like, if only the world knew Jews a little bit better, you know? <laughs> it wasn't specific to Judaism. It was, I just, I always go back to the simplicity of, of, the, of the golden rule, do unto others. Do unto and, others. And that was Leo's thing, yeah. you know? That's, that, to me, that's any religion, yeah. the core of any religion, right, if you're doing right. it right. Right. So you haven't had a bar mitzvah then. Okay. No. No. Okay. Jew or not Jew, rock star, David Lee Roth. Yes, Jew. He is Jew, right? Uh, yeah. He was born in Bloomington, 
um, Indiana to a medical doctor ophthalmologist. <laughs> Here's right? a good one for you. Getty Lee. Yes. Yeah. Do you know anything about his background? Wine rib. Yeah, that's exactly As mom right. was a Holocaust survivor. Gary Lee Weinrib, mother was a Holocaust survivor. I've met his mom. She's lovely. He, she's lovely. She's still right? alive. Right. So yeah. a buddy of mine, Adrian Berkowitz, whom you know, yeah. is right now writing a musical, which is called The Journey Home, about his father's liberation from the concentration camps. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And it's <laughs> going to be March 25th. We want you to come. I'd be happy to. We Thank want you, you to come. Yes. And we also want you to get it to Getty Lee's mom. <laughs> That like would the invitation. Be cool, right? Can you do that? Yeah. You can ask me a favor yeah. too. Yeah. I can get you some chicken after the show. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, Adrian Berkowitz is a great musician. He's also a Are lovely he, guy. He's a lovely guy. He came to my jams when I used to live at Bathurst yeah. in St. Clair. Yeah, he's what a, a good, very man. special man. And he's writing this whole piece for his father. You, you know what Lou, his brother, did to memorialize his father? Tell me. He put his father's concentration camps on his arm. He tattooed them on his arm. Amazing. What do you think of that? I, I have no problem with, you know, to, I was thinking about this in the way here. I have no problem with that. Yeah. Um, can you not get into a Jewish cemetery still if you have tattoos? Uh, was uh, that a thing? Is that still a thing? Uh, I'll be honest with you. You see this, my tattoo right here? Yeah. It's my son's name in Hebrew. Yeah. I think it's a misnomer. It might be mythology. Because you think about it, Jeff. Who doesn't have a tattoo? Yeah, how would you they know? even know? I mean, they'd have to do a lot of... Yeah, you're supposed to go out of this world as you came in, but I think there's right. flexibility there. Right, I'd, right? Ho I'd hope so. I think there's flexibility. Yeah. yeah. Is your mom cool? Your dad cool with your tattoos? They are. They never go, now, Jeffrey. They, they, not to me personally. They might have had a problem in the early days, yeah. but now they now my mom says, have you gotten a tattoo lately? <laughs> she's, she's and a, she wants me to show her. Your mom's really she's, hip, she's man. Cool. I, I love your mom. <laughs> Lenny Kravitz. Yes. He is Jewish? Yes. His dad, his mom was Roxy Roker and his dad was Sid Kravitz. Man, you know a, your a stuff. A black woman and a, and a Jewish man. You know your stuff. Yeah. Very good. By the way, later on in life, I think he converted to non-denominational Christianity. As one should. I'm kidding. Are you Are you Christian? <laughs> I mean, I was born that way. Like, do you way. ever go to church? I did as a kid. But now, we you know, Christmas, I did into my mass. 20s, actually. Not anymore. No. You know, you have no. like no. Need. I liked it for the music, and I liked it to sit beside uh, my my wife or girlfriend. Yeah, if it made her happy, I felt warm about it. You like gospel? I love gospel Stable music. Sisters. Gosh, yeah, oh, the Staples singers. I'm a huge Mavis fan. Yeah, so are mine. Oh wow, so are mine. Yeah, uh, Mark Knopfler, Jew or not Jew? Oh rock wow, star. I would have said no. Okay, well, you would be wrong. I didn't know that. Yes, you would be wrong. That's cool. I talked to Mark. What's he like? Mark was a sweetheart. Yeah. Humble. As humble as they come. Yeah. And one of my favorite guitar players. You like Dire Straits? I love Dire Straits. Okay. That first Dire Straits record. You know, all the Dire Straits records. And, and, and everything he's done since. Right, right. So his mother was Louisa May. Uh, English father was Irwin. He was an architect and he was a chess player. And Mark described his father as a Mark, Marxist agnostic. Wow. Yeah. You believe in God? <laughs> uh... Is agnostic where you're not really you're sure not one sure. way or the other? I'm ag agnostic. Yeah, I, I believe maybe, could be. Do you ever look up in the heaven and when something good happens, you go, thank you so much, God. I say thank you to the to the, the cosmos. I yeah, thank you to whatever the energy is that brought me this good fortune, for sure. Okay, good, good. Yeah. Here's, here's an interesting one. Robbie Robertson. Right. I mean, he's certainly... Uh, Jew or not Jew? 
Hartley Jew. That's exactly right, my friend. <laughs> yeah. You are an icon. I said that at the beginning of the show. He was born James Royale Kliegerman. Yeah. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, James Royale Kliegerman. (laughs) Somehow Robbie Robertson sounds better. Biological father was Alexander David Kliegerman, who was a gambler. Yeah. He was killed in a hit and run on the Queensway, changing a tire. Incredible. Isn't that something? Right. And his mother was a Mohawk native. One of my favorite movies of all time, certainly rock movies, is The Last Waltz. It is a wonderful you too? movie. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's up there. Yeah. Still wonderful to see it on a big screen. Yeah. 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 I'm a big fan. You know, I'm, I'm like a lot of people. I have these mixed feelings. I've, I've interviewed Robbie a few times. I met, I met, I interviewed Garth Hudson. I interviewed uh, Rick Danko. I interviewed Levon Helm. I mean, I got to, I got to meet all of them except for Richard, who committed suicide in the 80s in Florida. And they were all pretty wonderful in their own way, but the way the business went, Robbie ended up with controlling all the money. Yes, he did. Because he got all the publishing, yeah. all the songwriting credits, and most of us don't believe that that was fair. So while I have respect for Robbie's abilities and his kindness towards me, I do have that problem. Yeah, what do you do when you're interviewing someone and you know the dirt on them? I didn't go down that road because... Are you warm to them? Oh, I was super warm to him because the the context of our interview in the first place was the celebration of the music of the band in a box set that came out, yeah. five CDs celebrating the history, the rich history of the band. Phenomenal. So I music. wasn't going to start challenging him on his business dealings with his manager yeah. versus Levon and the rest of the band. I was there for a reason, and I, and I did my job, and it wasn't my place. Rick Danko seemed like a sweet man. One of my favorite bass players uh, and a sweetheart of a man. And, and and you know the one in the band that had the most problem with with substance abuse yes, he did. and 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 health issues as a result, but what a bass player! Yeah. Nobody played the bass like 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 Rick Danko. Yeah. yeah. And seeing the movie Festival Express, you've seen this. No, I haven't. He's, seen he's it. was the he was Cross Canada Train, and you had um, you had the band, and you had the Dead, and you had Janis Joplin all on the same train. Uh, Robbie, oh, wow. Robbie took a plane, by the way. Uh, I, did he? <laughs> did that, he? That's an aside. Yeah, um, yeah. So, but there's the best scene in the whole movie, other than the live concert footage. Janice is on fire. Uh, it, it was like Calgary, Vancouver, Toronto, and stops in between. Um, you've got Rick Danko, the bassist. You've got uh, Jerry Garcia, and you've got Janice Joplin. Yeah. Uh, sitting on the train. The train's rolling down the track, and they're they're jamming. That is so cool. Oh my god, it's funny. I may have seen that actually. And they're how, loaded. How are you for sure? How are how are you with the the new guys out there, the newer guys out there, the Derek Trucks, the Gary Clark Jr., you know? Oh, I, I have great regard for yeah. those two in particular. Yeah. There's lots of great players out there. Philip Sace is a favorite yeah. guitar player. There's there's so many. Now it's just the volume of music has increased so exponentially. It's hard Back in the day, it was like, hey, do you like this one or that one? Yeah. <laughs> now it's like it's tens of thousands of bands. Everybody's got a band. Everybody's Everyone. making a record. Yeah. So yeah. it's so fragmented. Yeah. And in one of your interviews, you said you were talking to a, a, someone who had made it. And the guy basically said, listen, in my town, there were 49 other bands. Right. For some other, for some reason, we made it. And I can't even tell you why. It's so true. Yeah. 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 It's a lottery. And, and, and you know, you look at Zeppelin. They didn't even want Robert. Jimmy didn't even ask Robert first to be the singer in Led Zeppelin. It was a guy named Terry Reed, right. who no one's ever heard of. I mean, no yeah. one, general public. But Terry was a great singer. He could have been the guy. But he probably wouldn't have been the right guy. 
things yeah, sort of happen for a reason. Yeah, those pieces had to come together. Yeah. Like if you would have gone out and asked the world, should Ringo be the Beatles drummers, most people would say no. Right. Right? There was a better technically proficient yeah. drummer out there. Right. But from a personality standpoint. So Neil Pert dies. Yeah. Is it like a family member for you? Like, how saddened do you get? <sighs> no. I got real sad. I got progressively more and more sad yeah. when I went back and listened to some of the conversations we had and when I went back and listened to every Rush record for the two weeks that followed just because I wanted to, I just wanted to hear it. I wanted to, I wanted to be close to him through his music. Yes. And, and I got sadder and sadder. Um, but we weren't, we didn't hang out. We had great conversations and I respected him so greatly and admired him for his music and for his humanity and his warmth and his kindness. But, you know, things hit you the way they hit you. When Tom Petty died, being such a massive fan, people were like completely devastated and Prince was another one. Yeah. And I wasn't. I just, I don't know, emotional connections are funny. You don't realize how it's gonna hit you until it does or That's doesn't. It's very true, you know? very true. But when David died, uh, yeah, I was, I was completely devastated. Um. I don't know. It's it's funny how that works, right? You don't know until it happens. I mean, I think your statement is that you don't know is correct. Yeah. When Leon Russell died, I sat here late at night watching Leon videos over and over and over. And then when they did his funeral, and funerals for folks like Leon, you know, go on for two, three hours. Because yeah. they're not just eulogies, but they're also lots of song. And by the way, the eulogies, like for him, were just crazy. Like guys would get up there and you knew they were music guys because they would get up there and say, you know, one night Leon went out and, and we were looking for some girls to fuck. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> and we were high as, as one does. Like they just talk freely. Yeah. It's not like you would be in church for, as an example, an auspicious businessman who passed away. It was Leon Russell. Yeah, it's rock and roll. <laughs> so they tell rock and roll stories. Yeah. And quite frankly, I love rock and roll stories. I told you, I interviewed Pat Rush, Yeah, you know, who was a lead guitarist for Jeff Healy, lead guitarist for Johnny Winters. Uh, he played with everybody. They were Pat Travers. It, well, he played with everybody. Right? Yeah, he did. And he has stories coming out of his yin-yang. Sure. And they are so pleasurable to listen to. Like, he goes, you know, I used to go over to Johnny's house and uh, Edgar would be there. And Johnny was funny because he used to walk around the house naked. <laughs> Imagine Johnny Winter naked. Imagine Johnny Winter naked, <laughs> All those right? tattoos and that white skin. You might mistake him for a ruler or something. <laughs> he was a skinny son of a <laughs> you bitch. Know? Anyways, we're just about, uh, we're going to conclude in a moment. I, I so love this interview. It is fun. Thank you for doing this. No, thank you for having me. Right, right. right? You are an, a great interviewee. It's fun to be here. Oh, it's great It's to fun to you. chat about music and life. It's nice, isn't it? What else is there? Yeah, exactly. exactly. Music, love, life, yeah. food. All the above. We didn't touch on your dog, though. <laughs> What's your dog's name? Caper, Caper yep. the Vizsla. Great. And tell us what kind of dog it is. Uh, V-I-Z-S-L-A, Vizsla. Often people will say Vizsla. It's Vizsla, Vizsla, Hungarian pointer. Medium, a bird dog. Medium size. 50, 50 60 pounds yeah. is, is sort of the, the size. And they crossed a German short-haired pointer with a Weimaraner and got a Vizsla. And they and she sticks to you, right? Uh, it's, it's a boy. He, he Yeah, they call it the Velcro breed. Velcro. You don't go to the bathroom uh, alone ever again. Yeah. They have to be touching you. Yes. His head's always touching my leg. Are you cool with that? Yeah, he's you a are. sweet boy. He's 11. He, he acts like he's three. He's very <laughs> youthful. 
Very cool. <laughs> so I like to conclude my shows with something of a really particular uh, a positive note, something having to do with Tikkun Olam, which is repairing the world, because really my show is predicated on bringing positivity to the world. I love that. Yeah, I think it's really important. It is. I think there's enough people out there speaking badly about others. I have a hard time not when I'm on Twitter and this has to do with Trump, but I get what you're saying. Yeah, I hear you. But I'm saying in general. In general. We're so critical of others, even even before we know the facts. Yeah. And that's really unfair. And it doesn't create that beauty in the world, which we need. I agree. Right. So when you and I sit here and we talk about the love that you have for your girlfriend. Yeah. Right. That to me is extraordinarily important. I mean, firstly, how many people know that about Jeff Woods? Right? Yeah, that's yeah, not normally yeah. what interviewers would ask you, right? No, that's so very true. They want to know some dirt on somebody. They always want to know dirt. I've listened right. to a bunch of your interviews. Yeah. Tell us about the biggest dick Tell uh, the, yeah. of, of interviews that you had. Tell us about people whom you, who were just awful to you. And y your answer, by the way, is pretty, pretty <laughs> consistent. Your answer was, no, they were all pretty nice. <laughs> you yeah, know? And, they generally and they're going, were. come on, Jeff, give us some shit, right? There's not much shit. Right. Yeah. Right. Because you, you get what you give. You get what you give, but you also said if they got that far, they couldn't be assholes. Yeah. Right. Right. If right? they were assholes, they were going to be stopped. Yes. And we have examples of that. Yeah. So there's uh, great, great uh, stuff out there about beauty that happens in our world. I pulled a couple of really nice stories off the internet. Doesn't really doesn't really matter where what the origin was. It's just it's just what happened, what occurred, what happened in our world on our clock, which I think is significant. Listen to this: Broadway violinist Martin Edgy plays classical music for rescue dogs recovering from abuse. Martin Edgy plays uh, this classical music for these rescue dogs. Um, she walked into the ASPCA animal shelter. The dogs get all excited, expected to be fed or perhaps to go for a walk. But they're in for an even better treat when she takes out her violin and she begins to play. Is that not awesome? <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I love that. Do you like classical music? A lot. You do? I do. Who, who do you like? Uh, I love violin concertos. Doesn't really matter. I do too. Something that's moving, something that's not too dramatic. No, I shouldn't say not too dramatic. Something that's not too boisterous. I like the calmness of classical. So a violin concerto is kind of where I go. Very good. But I'll sit and listen forever to uh, to, to, to piano, uh, just solo piano. Yeah. Right? Uh, there's something about the, yeah, the sound. Yeah. I don't know. It's just, it's calming to me. There's an intellect of, in classical there, that, I, there that really I really is. enjoy. I feel elevated by it, particularly in the morning. I'll put on a classical playlist. It just feels like the world's a little more important. Do you think this is an intellect of Jeff Beck's music? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I do too. Yeah. So do I. He's one of my favorites. Yeah. One of my favorite interviews too. Oh, how is it's he? It's in the audiobook. He was very forthcoming. He had gotten a bad rap for being maybe difficult or moody. And he was funny and uh, engaging yeah. and wide open with me. Very good. Beautiful man. Very good. And what the playing. Nobody plays a, a strat like him and, and the other guitars that he would yeah, have chosen nobody, to play. Nobody. Right? And the whammy bar. The dynamics of his playing are uh, uh, beyond. Oh, there's no one that can touch him to and me. He puts a powder on his hands. Yeah. It's really cool. And the, and, the, and the only rock star that has consistently not worn sleeves on yeah. his shirt yeah, yeah. for his entire career. And he wears those steel bands around his wrists. Yeah. Right? He's very cool. Full rock star. So A.G., a violinist who has played for over 40 Broadway cast albums, including Fiddler on the Roof, Thoroughly Modern Millie, The Color Purple, Legally Blonde, and the upcoming revival West Side Story, is also a volunteer with the SBCA. Uh, when he's not busy rehearsing or performing, he plays soothing classical music for dogs recovering from abuse. 
Oftentimes, within 30 seconds, a group of four or five dogs will all be curled up on their beds or in front of the doors, quietly listening and watching me play. AG says, it's really kind of an amazing thing to see. I love it. Isn't that interesting? I love the expression, we don't deserve dogs. Yeah. Dogs are the greatest dogs gift are. to the us. Dogs were bred to love humankind, and it's exactly what they live for. It's true. Your dog wants to make you happy. That's all. They say that dogs, I love this, their whole life, their job is to observe you. Right? Right. right. They want to know what's happening next, and yes. they have to watch you to know. You know, I just realized, looking over at you, you know who you look like more now than ever, right? What do people tell you? That I look like the dead, the guy from the dead, Jerry. Garcia. I love Jerry. Yeah, I love yeah, the dead. Yeah. And I got heroin marks here on my finger. <laughs> you know, he had all that yellow, you know? Jerry was a mess. Because he, he was, did you know him at all? No, no. beautiful man, but yeah. I never got to meet him. Well, he used to do heroin, wasn't he? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So my buddy goes down to Florida, and he was going through a really rough time. He's staying in a nice hotel, mm -hmm. and he's playing guitar. Mm -hmm. Anyways, one day, this guy sees him, and he says to my buddy... He says, I've heard you playing guitar, and you play really nicely. And my buddy says, thank you so much. I appreciate that. He goes, I play a little guitar myself. Would you mind if I came over? Like, maybe we can jam a little bit? Yeah. He goes, yeah, I think that's cool. Guy comes over, they play, play the next day, play for a few days. Finally, he goes, listen, I really appreciate this a lot, and, and I'm, I'm going to go. My, my friend, during the course of those few days, he found out his name was Jerry. God. But then after he left, someone tells me, do you know who that is? He goes, it's Jerry Garcia. <laughs> he had no, no idea. Imagine. No idea. Imagine. Can you imagine that? No. I know. So cool. I know. A, a girlfriend of mine, a, a friend who happens to be a girl, she was in Australia in the 80s. Yeah. And, and, and she'd go to this bar. And she would, she would have been in her 20s then. And uh, this this drunk would always sit beside her, tell her stories. This really good looking drunk, and uh, like a Peter O'Toole type, right? Yeah, but more rock star, good looking. It was uh, Michael Hutchins. Was it? <laughs> <laughs> she had no idea who yeah. Michael Hutchins was at that point. That's he wasn't famous good. yet. Yeah, yeah. I, I I've grown to love the Dead beyond compare. Bob Weir is one of my favorite musicians. He, he's got more songs in him than, than anyone I can imagine. He's done some nice documentaries as well. He's so such a wonderful man. Last story. Uh, the, the letter, uh, this is about a, a letter that a, a young boy, unfortunately, sent through the post office. A seven-year-old boy named uh, Jesse from the United Kingdom sent a birthday letter to his father addressed to heaven. Not knowing the exact location, Jesse wrote in the envelope, Mr. Postman, can you take this to heaven for my dad's birthday? <laughs> Much to Jesse's surprise, he got a response from the Royal Mail a few weeks later. The Royal Mail's assistant delivery officer, manager Sean Milligan, <laughs> assured Jesse that his letter had been delivered successfully, writing, please be assured that this, that his particular important item of mail got to heaven and got to his father. Sweet. Oh, isn't that something? Right? Isn't that a beautiful thing? Yeah. You can do such nice things for people if you want to, right? Yes. And 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 we don't realize the impact that it can have right? in its simplicity sometimes. Yes. It doesn't have to be a long, drawn-out bit of drama. It can be a real simple thing. It, especially for kids. Well, you made the point earlier. To be seen. To be seen. Right. 
to be seen. By the way, Jeff, especially for kids, because you you now have stepkids, right? Yeah, I love it. I'm telling you, man, you recognize something in that child, and you go up to them and you say, "Did you know that? Like, you're really, really good. I notice you're cooking with your mom. You have a real good touch for it. You say stuff to them, which they know that you're looking and seeing, and they sit back, although they may not be able to say it. They go. Oh, okay. Thanks. Yeah, they it stays away. with it stays. them. If you think about when you were a kid, Jeff, yeah. and some things that a teacher might have said to you or an adult may have said to you, which still sticks with you to this day, it's part of your narrative. That's the stuff that keeps us moving forward. And it could go either way. It to could your go point. It, yes, If good it's a point. negative, it could destroy you. Yeah, good point. And if it's a positive, it could lift you up. I have the best gift in the world. Yeah. And, and the little one, I mean, all three kids are wonderful. My, yeah. my partner's kids, Ella, August, and Jemima. Nice. Jemima's only eight. Sweet. And I and I have tears like every other day. Yeah. Just watching her for yeah. these reasons. That that I could see in her face that it, it matters to know me. And yeah, it so really matters to know her. Nicely obviously. said. Nicely said. <laughs> Is there anyone in your past, in your history, whom you remember, a teacher or whoever, who just said, Hey Jeff, you're really good at this, man. Where yeah, you yeah, yeah. Can you, you know, tell grade, us? Can you tell us? Yeah. Barry Snodden. What a weird name, right? Yeah. He was good friends, as it turns out, with Rick McLeish, who was a Philadelphia Flyer. Yeah, Rick McLeish. Right? Fighter. He yeah. was a fighter. Yeah. McLeish and Bobby Clark. All of them. All those guys. But, but Barry Snodden was this amazing teacher. He would go off curriculum and teach us stuff he shouldn't have taught us, but it was more advanced stuff. Yeah. And I just ate it up. <laughs> and I thought, school is the greatest thing ever because of this one guy. Yeah. And he'd always say this. He goes... Woods, you're sharp. You're sharp, Woods. And he would, and he, and you know, he would always pick me to answer the damn questions. And he elevated me beyond what I would have been. He, he saw that I was into what he was doing. That's beautiful. And, and so, so years later, when I was in my 40s, he found me and he invited me for lunch to uh, the senator downtown. We had a brunch. Yeah. And, and I was, it was so good to see him. That's it nice. Was, it, it was like yesterday. Yeah. It went from 1976, 40 years later, and I'm so happy he did because a couple years later he passed. He passed. Yeah. Yeah. You know what he became? His post-teaching career, he became, uh, he worked in the prison system. Did he? I, I don't know if he was rehabilitating, but he must have been doing good. Yeah, these are special people. Yeah. They really are. Yeah. So I, I guess the message that we want to get out to people is take a moment, breathe deeply, look at the person whom you're with. Detect something in them which is brilliant in them yeah. and point it out to them. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Right. I love that. Good. Well done. Thank you. <laughs> All right. I want to thank my listeners very much for uh, for being with us. It was a pleasure to do this show. I like you, man. I like you, too. I do. I like you. I, I do. I would. It would have been many years. Despite my heart attack. I... <laughs> <laughs> you take care. I'm working on right? it. Right? I'm working on do it. Do everything you can. Are you in good health? I think so. Are you? Like, yeah. do, you do you work out? No, but I, I do I do a lot of physical labor. Yeah, oh, do you? For ch out of choice. I like working with wood and painting walls and home decor and all that crap. Oh, you do that it stuff? It keeps you fit, yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. I love it. Yeah, Do whatever you can. Yeah, yeah, I need, I'm working on it. I really, and I have, here's the thing. I was working on it for a long time, and that's when I had the heart attack. I asked for a social worker in the hospital. I, I said this wasn't supposed to happen. Like I was on top of this, but I have to be more on top of it. I you guess. need a, Do you have a mentor in that regard? Yeah, I do. I do. 
Is you're you're my mentor. <laughs> <laughs> you need a mentor. We all need a mentor. We do. I have. That's my parting word. Get a mentor. Get a mentor. Someone you look up to that can help guide you. Exactly. Mm. Thank you so much for listening. You've been listening to Hat Radio. It's a show with a Jewish guy just trying to figure out with friends what the hell's going on. Do you like that? <laughs> That's my tagline. Why not? <laughs> God bless. You've been listening to Hat Radio with Avram Rosenzweig, sponsored by Goodness and Positivity. Hat Radio, the show that schmoozes. Step inside my living room, share a little talk. By roads walked and lessons learned, keeping the flame of faith burning. I want to know where you've been, what you found out. Spread some light in the darkness, spread it all about in the high.